Good morning, Parkview. Great to be with you. Sound good? Okay, fantastic. Blessings to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. My name is Wade. I'm a pastor here on staff at Parkview. I can serve alongside that magnificent man, Doug Fern. Isn't he just such a wonderful treasure? We just love that man. Yes, I just love working alongside him, and he's just such a marvelous, marvelous man. So what a joy to be together. Opening God's Word, learning Christ. That's what we're doing. We're learning Christ together. So if you want to open your copy of God's Word to Colossians 1, verses 15 to 20, we're going to camp out there for, for this morning. And a warm welcome to you. Maybe you're visiting online. Hello. And you're, you're exploring if Christianity is true. And you're still wondering and considering the claims of Christ uh, for your life. And that is great because I am so happy you're here today looking at Colossians 1 alongside of us uh, because Christianity is all about Christ. It's all about the person of Christ. And Colossians 1 gives us a clear, helpful, wonderful picture of who Jesus is. And so I'm very glad that you're joining us. And if you're here with us in person, so glad that you're here learning about Jesus with us. And we're in a series of renewal. What we're doing is just um, opening ourselves up in a fresh way to the Holy Spirit. And we're celebrating what the Lord has done in the past. We love what the Lord has done in the past history of Parkview Church. Marvelous things for His glory and honor. Uh, and yet, at the same time right now, we're turning in a posture of longing to see what's the, the fresh work of the Holy Spirit the Lord wants to do for Jesus' sake in our time and place as a church. And so we're seeking Him together. Right now we have a daily kind of prayer effort just to kind of ramp up our devotion to Christ and seek Him together. And so in this year of renewal, uh, we're looking at God's Word just as a kind of a little series before we jump back into 1 Corinthians. And we've been in two Psalms. Uh, last week we were in Psalm 85, looking at the Lord loves to bless His church with the, the refreshing uh, presence of His Holy Spirit. And uh, that he would revive us again, that we would rejoice in him. Fresh joy in God's work among us. And then two weeks ago, we looked at Psalm 127, which is all about the Lord doing a work in his church. If the Lord does not build the church, does not grow the church, what we're doing here is totally in vain and meaningless. And so we want the Lord and the presence of his spirit to be at work among us. And that's what we're looking at this year of renewal. So now we make a turn, and we have we're kind of call, what we're calling five images of renewal, okay? These are simply pictures of, if we were to ask the question, well, what does it look like if God is actually renewing our hearts personally and corporately together as a church, what should we be seeing? You know, what are the kind of tangible images, pictures of what that looks like? And well, we've, uh, on staff and elders, have uh, discerned five, and we've ad adapted and adopted them from an author named Jared Wilson from his book, Gospel Driven Church. And the five images are these, a growing passion for Christ. It all starts with Jesus, loving and adoring Jesus Christ. And then secondly, it moves to an honest heart of repentance. As you see the glory of Christ, it moves you to do what we just did this morning. Uh, open ourselves to the Lord. Ask for his forgiveness and his renewing power. So repentance, then moving to devotion to God's word. We love the Bible. And just like Psalm 1 says, we want to be a people that delight and meditate on God's word day and night and be a people devoted to his word. And then the fourth is delight in biblical doctrine. We love the truths of God, knowing more about the God that we serve and love. And then fifth, it all heads towards love for neighbor, both Christian and those who are not yet Christian. And because we believe the church has been called by Jesus Christ to love people, and by loving them, we make disciples. We help them know who Christ is and grow up into maturity in Christ. And that is what love is all about. So today we're gonna look at our first image 
image of growing passion for Christ. And here's a question for you, Parkview, online, uh, for those of you here. How is your passion for Christ right now? How's your love for Christ? You're going to kind of take a temperature of your heart for the Lord. How, how are things going? And I'm not asking you, what do you wish your heart for Christ is? No, I'm just, just honestly, where are you at in your passion for Christ? And because uh, Colossians 1, I'm, my, my prayer is it just, it just gives us a huge vision of Jesus. As a kid growing up, uh, I grew up in Arizona, which means I got to go to the Grand Canyon a handful of times. I know that's not the privilege of many people. Um, but what the thing I loved most was not, seeing it for the first time was great. But the thing I loved was when I went to the Grand Canyon with other friends of mine or family members who had not yet seen it. And what they had was kind of like a, uh, like a Google picture version of the Grand Canyon where like, you know, they can zoom in and say, wow, big canyon. Or they have a textbook version, knowledge, facts about the Grand Canyon um, from a geology textbook or whatever it was in your kind of social studies class. What I loved, <coughs> excuse me, what I loved was, was this, walking those people to the ledge of the Grand Canyon and then observing what happened. Usually, what came out of the mouth was some sort of, wow, this is so much bigger than I thought. And uh, I, I love that because that, that is what Colossians 1, 15 to 20 is doing. It takes us by the hand, through, through this passage, the Lord Jesus grabs our hand, takes us to the ledge, and we look out at the canyon that is Jesus Christ. And my heart, my hope, has been praying for this, is that we'd all walk away and just say, wow, Jesus is much bigger than I thought he was. And uh, maybe we have textbook knowledge of Christ and we know Wikipedia information about Jesus, so to speak. We can talk about him. But I'm talking about our hearts, growing in a passion for Christ. I know that one of the things, probably my greatest temptation in life, if I'm going to be totally honest with you, is just how easy it is to drift into kind of a boring, kind of yawning vision of Jesus. It's not my fault. I mean, it's not his fault. It's my fault. Um, but it just happens, right? It can happen just slowly over time. All of a sudden you realize, where's the passion gone? So Colossians 1, we're learning to see that great passion for Christ. And we're going to see there's two things about Jesus. He's sovereign over creation, and he's sovereign over the church. That's what we're going to look at. And so uh, the passage has been read, but I just always love reading God's word. So I'm just going to read one small portion, and then I'll pray, and then we'll move forward, okay? From Colossians 1, uh, verse 15 and 18. Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Let's pray. Father, we do ask that by your Holy Spirit, through your word, you would exalt Christ in our hearts, that we would have a greater vision of the greatness of Jesus Christ, of his sovereignty, of his powerful, controlling rule over all things, all the time, everywhere. And so empower me by your Holy Spirit to be a faithful servant of your word, to love these people well in Christ through the proclamation of your word. And we just pray that you would grow this church in a passion and an earnest love for Jesus Christ. And so in his name we pray, amen. So Colossians 1, 15 to 20, we're learning. What does a church look like that's getting renewed in the Holy Spirit? Well, it has a growing passion for Christ. And so we have to keep focusing on the sovereignty of Christ. That's really what Colossians 1, 15 to 20 is about, is a church looking at the sovereignty of Christ, just staring at it until we see it. 
in two ways. Sovereignty of Christ in creation, verses 15 to 17, and the sovereignty of Christ in the church, verses 18 to 20. And just real quick, sovereignty, especially if you're newer to the, uh, to the church or to the Bible, it kind of sounds like a religious word. Uh, the Bible uses this, uh, this phrase, the sovereignty of God or the sovereignty of Jesus, um, to basically just explain that he's really, really big. And uh, he has ultimate control and power over all things, everywhere, all the time. That's what God's sovereignty means. And so we're looking at that from Colossians 1. Well, look down with me at verse 15 to see that Christ is sovereign over creation. Verse 15, he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. So Jesus, right off the bat, what Paul's saying is Jesus reveals, represents, what God is really like. Uh, the Gospel of John in chapter 1 says no one's seen God, but, but the Son from the Father reveals the Son. John 14, Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus is the image, the spitting image of the invisible God. And Paul continues in verse 15, this means then that he is the firstborn of all creation. Okay? What this does not mean is that Jesus was born at some time, time in eternity past, all of a sudden it was, he wasn't there, and all of a sudden, poof, Jesus was there. Uh, that's a heresy that's condemned by Scripture. Uh, what this does mean is this. Paul is grabbing a hold of an Old Testament category of kingship. If you look at Psalm 89, you have to look there. Uh, but Psalm 89 is a, is a beautiful poem describing God's future coming king. And through this coming king from the Lord, he's going to rule over God's creation and establish God's kingdom and justice throughout all of his creation. Verse 27 of Psalm 89 says this. Listen to the language. God says, I will make my king the firstborn. The firstborn. And then it translates. What does that mean? The firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. So here, right off the bat, Colossians 1.15, Paul is saying this. Jesus is the firstborn of creation, meaning he's the king over creation. Jesus is sovereign over creation. And then what Paul does is that he's going to prove this in verses 16 to 17. In verse 16, he's going to say that Jesus started everything. He created it all. And then 17, he's going to say Jesus sustains everything. Look at verse 16. For by him, by Jesus, all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Uh, real quick, those categories, rulers, authorities, dominions. Uh, elsewhere, the Apostle Paul who's writing this letter uh, to the Colossian church, he uses that to describe spiritual forces, unseen spiritual forces, but it can also mean uh, earthly rulers as well, okay? But what he's saying is all things, all these things that you think you have power, or all these things you think have control or authority, actually, these all things, they're under the authority of Jesus because look at the very ending here, verse 16, all things are created through him and for him, and for him, just like a founder of a company or institution, uh, Jesus, since he began creation, he therefore has the authority as the founder of the, as the starter of all things to determine the purpose of his creation. And according to Jesus, his creation, according to verse 16, exists for him, for his purposes, because he is sovereign. So real quick, next time you're in your car driving to your work, or for many of us, what that involves now is waking up and walking into the room next door and going on a Zoom call, okay? Uh, what if you gave yourself just one minute and 13 seconds of uh, silence and reflection, and you just reflected before the Lord Jesus, 
And you said something like this, Jesus, my job, my work exists for you. I wonder, I wonder, Parkview, how would the Lord Jesus change our attitude to our everyday nine to five or eight to six or whatever it is for you, work life? Because especially right now during COVID, probably I'm assuming most of our work dynamics have probably changed and shifted in some way. And it can be really easy to head towards kind of this just discouragement bunker and just sit there. But let's just reflect for a second. Colossians 1.16, all things for Christ, created by Christ for Christ, includes our work. And so I wonder what that would do in terms of changing our attitude towards our work. Well, let's look, look back at the text. Verse 16, so sorry, verse 15, he is sovereign. Verse 16, uh, he started it. And then verse 17, he sustains it. Look at 17. And he is before all things, simply saying, Jesus is number, numero uno. He's before everything else. Number one, and lean in here. And in him, all things hold together. All things hold together. Hold together, meaning he sustains it, he maintains it. He ensures that everything that he creates will accomplish the purpose for which he designed it for. And so we might summarize it like this, reflecting what we see about Christ so far in verses 15 to 7. Jesus is sovereign. He's firstborn over creation. He's king. Verse 15, and then he started all things, verse 16, and verse 17, he sustains all things. And do you know, Parkview, what all things means? It means all things. It means everything. It means your marriage things. It means your singleness things. It means your money things and your sexuality things and your nine to five work things and your exhausted student things and your regret and shame things and depression and anxiety things. I am not sure what particular thing you are dealing with right now, but I do know from Colossians 1 that there is a Lord Jesus who created all things and is ruling over all things and maintaining and sustaining all things. And so the midst of the chaos of the things in your life, we can look to a sovereign Christ and keep looking and looking to Christ. Charles Spurgeon, uh, the great pastor of the 1800s, often says that in any trial, the sovereignty of Christ is the pillow upon which you lay your head. And some of us need to allow the Lord Jesus to love the reality of his sovereignty into your heart right now because it's hard for you to rest. And I'm not just saying going to sleep at night. Maybe you're having a hard time going to sleep because of something in your life. But I'm talking about the internal state of your heart. The sovereignty of Christ over all things, and especially the, the sustaining sovereignty of Jesus Christ, is one of the most comforting, glorious doctrines in the Bible. And if we become a church that fumbles this doctrine, we are going to be a church full of chaos and anxiety and spiritual depression and et cetera, et cetera. But if we're a church that keeps preaching about a Jesus who is so wonderful and who is so powerful over all things and sustaining all things, we can become a church that's walking forward in step with the Spirit in peace and assurance and joy. 
Amen. Exactly. Isn't it just Colossians 1? Isn't it just delicious? All right, cool. Let's keep going here, okay? So we've seen, like any good founder and CEO, Jesus starts the enterprise. He'll make sure it gets to its ultimate goal. He'll sustain it. And now we look at Christ, not only sovereign over creation, but now, verses 18 and 20, sovereign over the church. He's sovereign over the church. Wow. I mean, verse 17, uh, 15 and 17 reveal that Jesus is the founder and CEO of creation. Okay, he started and he maintains it. 18 to 20 says this, okay? The infinitely rich and powerful CEO and founder of creation has now invested all of his stock and portfolio and investments and whatever else a CEO and founder would do with all of his money. He's invested all of those resources, boom, into the local church. Verse 18, look with me. And he, Christ, is the head, the head of the body the church. The church is nourished and empowered by Christ. If you chop off the head, the body is dead, okay? And so the head gives life and kind of the control center of the body, so therefore Christ controls and empowers and nourishes the body. Paul continues in verse 18, Christ is the beginning. The beginning of what? The beginning of something amazing and surprising. He's the beginning of the firstborn of the dead. Elsewhere in the New Testament, especially 1 Corinthians 15, right? We're studying 1 Corinthians as a church right now. If you go to 1 Corinthians 15, um, Paul uses the language, Paul, the author of what we're looking at in Colossians, he uses the language saying Christ is the first fruits from the dead. This is what he's talking about here in terms of being firstborn from the dead, meaning Jesus' resurrection in history in first century Palestine is the beginning of a new creation that right now is applied to us spiritually as our sins are forgiven and we have new life in Christ, but we await the future and final resurrection of our bodies in which we dwell in the new heavens and new earth with our Lord Jesus. Through the death and resurrection of Christ, a new era of human life has begun for those who are connected to him by faith. Just amazing. He is the beginning. He's the beginning of something. He's starting something. What is he starting? He's starting this new humanity. And look at what happens. This humanity where, where Christ is ruling, the very ending of verse 18. What's the purpose of this new humanity where Christ is ruling his head? So that in all things, here's the grand purpose, okay? Jesus, he's just going to lay out his cards for you, okay? In all things, Christ might be preeminent, first place, highest rank, top commander, the sovereign over the church. So if Jesus, think of it this way. If Jesus had like a Google task or a to-do list or whatever your thing is, maybe it's you're still using paper and, you know, notes of like, okay, here's my agenda for the day. You know, first things first, most important things first. Jesus has one and only one agenda item for himself every day. And it is to be preeminent and most excellent and sovereign over his church whom he loves. Wow. Talk about an agenda item for a staff meeting. Yeah. All right. And uh, just notice how Jesus accomplishes the great task of being preeminent, okay? Look at the means by which Jesus is preeminent, how he gathers a church together, a new humanity in his new resurrection life. Verse 19, for in him, in Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased, look at this, to dwell, and then verse 20, through him to reconcile, to dwell, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or heaven, making peace, by the blood of the cross. Paul brings the whole passage to a point here, saying that Jesus has the preeminent place, the highest place in the church, 
because he, verse 19, dwelled with us in incarnation, becoming human for our sake, and because he died for us in crucifixion, Jesus reconciling us to himself. And all of this through the bloody death on a cross. This is the gospel. This is the good news of Jesus Christ, that on the cross, Jesus is taking the chaos of sin and disorder in all of creation, but also in the human heart, in rebellion against God. He takes that upon himself, your sin, my sin, against a holy God, and he reconciles us back to the Father, those of us who bend the knee to him and receive by faith all that he has done for us with the empty hands of faith to receive the reconciliation that he offers through his death. Now, please don't miss the brilliance of the flow of Colossians 1, 15 to 20. Just Jesus, the sovereign creator of all things, verses 15 to 17, comes to dwell in the world he loves, verse 19, and then to reconcile, put back together, the world that's been fractured by death and chaos and sin. And he brings healing to this chaotic fracture through his death. But get this, the purpose of it all, of this amazing work of Jesus, is so that, verse 18, he can be preeminent in all things in a church, over the local church. Meaning this, Christ is the head of an advertisement company. And he has invested all of his best resources. What I'm saying, I'm saying this, okay. Christ has called the church to be a billboard of the new humanity of what it is like when the human heart bows in glad-hearted submission to the rule and care and sovereignty of Christ. The world ought to look at the church and see in the church a new humanity connected to a glorious sovereign head and what it looks like when Jesus is control of your life and what it looks like when Jesus is sovereign and what it looks like that you've been transferred from the chaotic crazy of sin and death into the awesome beauty of the kingdom of love and peace through a cross. The church is to be a witness to the head that rules it. Does that make sense? And here, Parkview, is why this is crucial for us right now. Because we have all witnessed the chaos at the Capitol building. And yet what struck me was seeing the signs of people. And on the signs that say Jesus saves is in the hands of people causing chaos and disorder, which is a direct contrast to the Jesus we actually see in Colossians 1, and contrary to the church that is led by the sovereign Christ of Colossians 1. I mean, just think about what we see about Jesus. He's the sovereign king over a new humanity, but this new humanity is a people constituted, created by peace through the self-giving love of a cross. And a church that advertises to this Jesus shows what it looks like that Jesus saves. And the way that Jesus saves is outlined to us in Colossians 1.20. How does Jesus save? It's not through aggressive insurrection at a Capitol building. But it is through bloody crucifixion on a Roman cross where through death, the powerful, sovereign creator reconciles to himself the chaotic, sinful men and women of this world into right relationship with the living Lord. And so a church, 
a church that is connected to this head, that it's an advertisement to this Jesus, will be a church that holds up a banner that says, Jesus saves. But we don't enter a Capitol building with angry violence, but we enter the places of chaos and darkness and brokenness here in Iowa City and around the world, bringing the healing power and presence and peace of Jesus Christ. This reminds me of uh, what is going on at the Rafa House in Cambodia. Cambodia. It's one of our Parkview Global Workers. If you don't know about it, basically what it is is a partnership of Christians who are willingly entering into the darkness and chaos of people abused by sex slavery to bring to them the peace of Christ, to bring to them the presence of the healing of Christ. That's what it looks like when the church raises a banner that says Jesus saves. They go to those type of places with the gospel of Jesus Christ proclaimed and the gospel of Jesus Christ demonstrated, which is a gospel of peace and justice. Friends, our country is lost in the chaos of aggressive hatred and animosity towards one another, where one's political party has become the centerpiece of our identity, where emotional desires and devotion are more aligned with our political candidate than with a sovereign Christ who rules over all things. And so we, Parkview, are called to be a church of the sovereign Lord who brings peace and reconciliation through the blood of his cross. Parkview, this is the head. This is Jesus, the sovereign Lord of his church. And he is the one of peace. And we are his advertisement. So let us be a people of peace. So what have we seen so far? Verses 15 to 17. Christ is king over creation. He's sovereign of creation. He is sovereign over his church. And here's Here's how I want to conclude. As I think about Colossians 1, 15 to 20, as we reflect on it together, I want to address three people specifically here in this room, or maybe you are online. First, uh, for those of you who are not yet committed followers of Jesus Christ, you would not claim to be a Christian. I'm so glad that you're here. I want you to understand the vision of Jesus uh, that is given to you in Colossians 1. Maybe oftentimes we think about Jesus as a little Jesus who cares about our little spiritual lives. And kind of everything else is kind of up to us to micromanage and figure out on our own. But the Jesus of Colossians 1 is so huge and so powerful. Uh, it's not just about you inviting him into your life. He actually invades your life in love and power to become the king over all things. Jesus of Colossians 1 is an indestructible, huge, massive savior for really bad, terrible people. That's the, that's the Jesus of Colossians 1. He's the indestructible savior, super awesome and huge for really bad, broken people. And what Christ is calling you today is simply this. Lay down, lay down your weapons. In verse 20, what does it say? That he reconciles all things, making peace. The blood on the cross. What's real of those of us who are outside of Christ, who have not yet embraced Jesus Christ, is you are currently in a hostile warfare against the living Lord of the universe. That is a terrible place to be. And your life is heading towards sure judgment of this Lord unless you lay down your weapons and receive the peace offering that he has given to you through his death on the cross. And so if you're sitting there right now on your couch watching this, wondering what is going on with my life, it feels like a total chaotic mess. I wonder what it would look like if you received the Lord Jesus Christ and let him put your life back together in his peace. Second person, I want to address specifically our young people 
Some of you are here in this room. Others of you may be online. In our young people today, we live in a culture that some have called a culture of the sovereign self. And by that, it means that we, as humans, as individual people, um, have sovereignty, have control to create ourselves however we want. And the process in which you kind of create an identity for yourself is by looking within yourself and, and discovering your unique passions and desires and then expressing that to the world. And this is all around us in the Netflix shows that we are watching or the Spotify playlists that we are listening to, uh, where the purpose of life is about self-creation, defining yourself, curating a unique version of yourself that you then post on Instagram to have others accept and affirm you. And we see this, that this is just the air we breathe. It is celebrated, it is love, this way of looking within yourself to define your true self. Uh, it happens all the time. If you look at celebrities, right, on their Instagram pages or Facebook, whatever it is, when they kind of make a career move or if they talk about, oh, I'm kind of heading in a different direction, or we're seeing it a lot now with those who are uh, changing their gender or their gender pronoun. And what you see is just everyone just celebrates and loves it in our culture because it's the air we breathe. You get to look inside of yourself and determine for yourself who you actually are and then express that to the world. Yet this way of living can only lead to confusion and heartache. And one reason, there's probably, there's multiple reasons for it, but one reason is this. If we're honest with ourselves, if we look inside of ourselves, there is a multitude of desires and feelings and passions. And so, you know, just for example, maybe someone here, you want to be a great musician and, and then you just oh, desire that with all your heart. And you know that involves lots of hours of practice and practice and practice and practice to perfect uh, your gift of musicianship. At the very same time, you look within yourself and you just want to play a bunch of video games with your friends online all the time. Newsflash for you, you cannot be the next great musician, or whatever it is, and also lounge around on your couch playing video games all the time. Those two things don't compute, but I guarantee you have desires for both things in your heart. So which one is the true you? Which one gets to define who you are? And this is why Colossians 1, therefore, is such good news, especially for us young people, because we learn that all things were created by Christ, including yourself, and therefore your authentic self can only be truly found, not by looking inward, but by looking upward to Christ. And just a tip for you, okay? Uh, when I was 15, the age of some of you in here, I remember thinking, ah, you know, the adults and the people in my life, my, my parents, they, they didn't really understand who I am. And they didn't understand the real me. And guess what? I'm a 30-year-old now. I look back at my 15-year-old self, you know what I think? Ah, my parents knew who I was. And so do the people in my church. And so do the people in my community. And the people in my school. So all I'm trying to say is this, okay? If in verse 18 it says that Christ is the head of a body, part of the way that Jesus leads his body is by giving older generations of godly women and men to disciple and mentor and love and come alongside the younger generations. And so as young people, we need to allow those in our lives the older generations, to come and speak into us the gifts that they see in Christ, the passions they see in our hearts, and help and allow them to help us lift our eyes upward to Christ. And could you imagine the type of witness we could become as a younger generation if the security inside is based upon who Jesus is outside of us, not on the shifting sands of our internal affections and desires? Because I guarantee you in five years from now, 
you will regret some of the desires that you have inside your heart. I know I have. And so we look to Christ, who is the sovereign Lord, not the sovereign self of our culture, but the sovereign Christ who defines who we are. And third and finally, let's just think about for a moment what type of church Colossians 1, 15 to 20 actually creates. Verse 18, guys, friends, Jesus is the head of his church. Uh, If you cut off the head, the body is going to die. So simple application here. Let's just keep an addictive focus on Jesus Christ. Let's keep talking about Jesus all the time. When we're in friendships together and one-on-one conversations over coffee, let's just talk about what are you enjoying about Jesus right now, okay? Uh, If we're in community groups, let's create space uh, where we can just have honest conversation about the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, For those elders or pastoral staff, um, what can it look like in our agenda items for for our meetings to just carve out space if Jesus is the head of his church, Therefore, nutrients and the power of the church, it probably is important for us to know the head. What is the head thinking? What does the head desire? So let's carve out space where through prayer and reflection on scripture, we get to know the head. We get to love and understand the head of this church. Personal lives, okay? This is how I'll land it. Uh, What would it look like if you just built into your life unhurried time to slowly digest the Bible this year? Because we get to know Jesus, the great, awesome, sovereign Jesus, through the Bible, as the Holy Spirit ignites in our hearts a knowledge of Jesus as our eyes are looking over the pages of Scripture. Slow down and let yourself, maybe, it be, maybe just begin, in, I know we all begin in Genesis at the beginning of the year, maybe, maybe what you need right now, especially if you need a renewed refreshment of passion for Christ, start with Matthew or Luke or John or something. And just stare at Jesus Christ, asking the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, help me see how great Jesus is. Guys, I know Netflix and Twitter and Instagram or whatever the next cool, it's super fun, I know, okay? And we can spend a lot of time there. But I guarantee you, as we are 89-year-olds on our deathbed, we're not gonna look back on our lives and say, man, I wish I would have spent more time with Netflix. But I do think we have the propensity to look back and think, ah, I could have spent the best of my time knowing Christ, right? So why not just start tomorrow with 17 minutes opening your Bible and saying, Holy Spirit, open my eyes to see Jesus and let's look at Christ Sovereign over creation, holding all things together. Sovereign over his church. Wow. Let's pray. Father, we are so in love with your son, Jesus. What a glorious passage. Colossians 1, a delicious feast from the Father about the son, Jesus, by the Spirit. And here we are, a church, in a time of renewal, wondering together, what's it going to look like, Lord, as we grow up in Christ, well, it's gonna look like us just having a huge passion for a massively awesome sovereign Jesus. And so that can only happen through your Holy Spirit. And so here we are, humbling ourselves before you, saying, please, please open our eyes 
to see Christ, to love Christ, to know Christ. It's all about Christ. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.